Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by a very special guest, John Rosier. How are you doing, John? I'm very well, thanks. Excellent. So readers of the Investors Chronicle will know uh, that John provides a, a monthly column for us looking at the portfolio that you run on your website, which is... It's uh, johnsinvestmentchronicle.com. And it's a live portfolio. So this is this is stuff you actually own. Yes. And, and what you do on your website and, and kind of belatedly through us a couple of weeks after... Uh, at the end of the month, is, is update readers about exactly what you're doing yep. and why. And yes, it's, it's exactly. A, and so my ISO and my SIP basically replicates that portfolio. It's, it's, it's really, really insightful. It's really good to see a live portfolio in action, which is why it's really, really popular with our readers. Yes. So we're going to kind of have a, have a chat through that today and kind of the thinking behind it and, and, uh, and the, the kind of style you, 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 uh, you use to, to approach investing with, some of the themes you're looking at, some of the tools you use. Um, but let's start with a little bit of background. Tell us about yourself. I'll give a bit of history. So I started work in the city at uh, Fleming Investment Management in uh, 1984. To start with, I was an analyst in the research department, so that gave me a good sort of base. I followed the financial share, so banks, insurance, and then uh, a few other sectors like overseas traders, which don't think really exist anymore, or <laughs> textiles didn't really exist anymore. Uh, but coats, the, I think. Yeah, but I mean, it was quite a big sector yeah. with Courtauld and William Baird and uh, Nottingham Manufacturing. So, you know, it's quite quite a lot of companies, but they've they've gone by the wayside. And then in 1989, I then started managing portfolios. So uh, I moved from research, and I was managing UK equity portfolios for big pension schemes. So final salary pension schemes for uh, big corporates, local authorities, that sort of thing. And in those days, those portfolios would have 60-odd percent in UK equities, probably another 20-odd percent in overseas equities, bit of property, bit of bonds. But it was, you know, UK equities was the, the, the majority of the portfolio. Yeah. Nowadays, 10 percent maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, that sort of reflects where we are globally in terms of I guess stock markets and their, and their relative weightings. I guess it does, but then there were two big changes, which I think, hmm, I'm going to say, ruined the UK pension industry. Um, one was the removal of the tax credits on dividends in the early 90s, and then in 97, the complete removal, which made equities less attractive. And then the other was the move to, uh, you know, mark to market in terms of valuing uh, the pension funds. I mean... Why would you have a final salary pension scheme now? But in the old days, it was valued on discounted cash flow. That, to me, made more sense. But anyway, yeah, that's history. So let's talk about the present. Yep. You then made the shift to become a, a full-time private investor. Yes, um, I, various routes. Um, the last, I say, proper job I had was in 2008 when I was set up a small investment management company for you know a larger company so it's a subsidiary of a larger company and uh, it was an interesting time to do that raising money in 2008 wasn't that easy but that uh, our parent company was taken over in 2009 and the new owner said we're not interested in investment management close it down so we closed it down my wife very nicely let me go for a month to South Africa doing a conservation uh, course in uh, the Kruger. And I think she thought when I got back that uh, it would be back on the northern line to the city. But actually, I, I thought I've done that for 25 years. Um, and it was fun. I learned a lot and everything. But I want to do something different. Trouble is, I hadn't really worked out what. 
Um, so I started investing from home, enjoyed that. And then through various websites and things, got the idea of johnsinvestmentchronicle.com. So I set that up in 2012, January 12. Um, and since then, I've been managing full-time private investor and also uh, running the, the, the portfolio on the website. Yeah, and, and the two things sort of overlap. So. They do, yes, totally. Um, yeah, 100% really. I mean, it, it gives me good discipline because I'm up at half six, I'm ready for any RNSs at seven, particularly annoying when you have a day like Tuesday where you know, I've only got 24 holdings at the moment. And so on Tuesday, you get three announcements all in one go. So Games Workshop, um, I knew was coming, but then there was an update from Anglo. Asian mining, um, and gosh, what was the other one? Oh, it's a good one, Serica, Serica Energy um, trading update. So uh, by eight o'clock, I'd scribbled my sort of initial thoughts and all of those and, and, and got them out. But, but I find the writing really helps in terms of discipline. Yeah. There's been times when I've looked at a stock and I thought, yes, I'm going to buy it. I've written it up, taken time writing it all up, my reasons for buying it and all that. And then I've got to the end of the conclusion. I've gone. You know what? I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> I mean, I was you know, going to having gonna... started thinking I was going to definitely buy it. I mean, that's why I'd written it up. I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, what is your research process? Yeah, and I guess the writing is part of that. Yes. What else? What else would you use to to help build a picture of a company you might might buy or sell for that? Matter? Okay. Well, a good good example of one I bought in early December. Renew Holdings, which I held a few years ago. I uh, sold out in 2017 because I thought the valuation had uh, moved too far um, and um, I was just slightly concerned also about its sort of prospects over, over that time. December, it basically came up. I, I saw the, uh, the results statement at the end of November and I read through that and I thought that looks uh, a very positive statement, good set of results, good organic growth in the business. Um, so I then looked at the valuation and I thought, God, it looks, looks cheap. And I could look back at when I'd sold it at and you know, the dividend yield had moved from 2% to 3 share price movement and dividend growth. And I then looked on the Investor's Chronicle, see the comment there. So that, again, useful to read that. I then went on to Stockopedia and looked at uh, its rating on the stock and what was going on. Uh, so that was uh, another good piece of work. And then I went on something called Simply Wall Street. And it had it as the cheapest stock in the UK market. Um, and I sort of went through all of that on it. And I just, uh, you know, after doing all that, and it's sort of stock I know as well. I've met the management in the past. Um, and so I'm, I'm okay with what market they're in. And I thought, it's a risk worth taking. Anytime you buy a stock, there's a risk that you get it wrong. But in this case, I felt the uh, you know, risk reward was clearly on my side. It's, so I bought some at the beginning of December and it went up sort of 50% in the next month. Probably helped by the general election result, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that in you mentioned when you in the in your column this month. Yeah, uh, and uh, that perhaps the valuation was being held back by yes. by the fear of a yes. of a Labour government. Yeah, but again, to me, there were there were two bits there. I, I, I mean, it's easy with hindsight, but I don't think really anyone expected a majority um, 
Corbyn government or Labour government. Mm. Um, so I thought maybe that was being overdone. But the other the other side of it is, you know, Re- Renew is basically involved in maintenance of critical infrastructure, so the railway network and nuclear things like that. Um, and uh, you know, I, I just couldn't see it being losing all its business overnight. There's just no way that was going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of style. Yeah. Would you would you say you had a particular style? Are you a growth investor, an income investor? Uh, I'm an you investor. Uh, I would say I'm a I'm a, a sort of garpy one. So growth at the right price. Um, so again, on my website, I, I've updated it recently in terms of my investment approach and all, all the detail. I mean, I bulk at buying companies where <laughs> once the prospective p gets over 20 i start to uh, feel a bit uncomfortable about buying a stock like that would, i mean I, I have done occasionally would because, you also feel uncomfortable holding a stock where the p has where the rating has expanded uh, it, well the, then? i start to feel uncomfortable but if but if i've bought a stock that's on 16 times and it's re-rated up to 23 24 25 i'll sort of watch it but i'm i'm starting to feel uncomfortable because i'm starting to think Maybe, you know, if I do sell this, if the valuation's too high here, you know, how much more can this revaluation go on? You know, if I do sell that, put it in cash, I can then look for another one where I'm I'm looking for a re-rating. So, you know, my ideal stock is something on 13, 14, 15 times earnings where um, the earnings are being upgraded because uh, once you get good news and earnings upgrades, people start to take notice and they say, why is this only on 15 times? And it mm. gets revalued. So you get that sort of double whammy. So those are the sort of things I look for. I also like um, stocks that pay a dividend. Um, and once the yield gets to two or below, um, you know, it's the same as you know, the inverse of the PE in a way, um, I start to think, well, maybe I can find something to put the money in where the yield's 4% and the dividend's growing at 10 or 15 and maybe that'll be re-rated so then yields too. Yeah, Renew Holdings, when I first bought that, had a yield of over 35 or so and I sold it in 17 when the yield was down at 2. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a, there's, a, there's a strong discipline going on yep. here. Um, and in fact, one of the things I, we spoke about earlier that, that keeps you disciplined is, is the closed nature yes. of, of your, your portfolio. Yes. Can you talk us through exactly what that means and, okay. what, and why it helps? All right. The, the, the closed nature just means that when I started John's Investment Chronicle, um, the portfolio in January 12, I put a lump of money in and I said to everyone, here's this money and this website is all about how I invest that money. So I've never, when I find an idea, if there's no cash in the portfolio, if I find an idea and think, oh, I really want to buy that, I can't just shovel some more money in. I've I've got to say, well, is it better than an existing holding? Um, And if it is, then, uh, you know, and how sure am I that it is? Because there's always a cost with chopping and changing. If I'm sure it's better than that holding, then out goes that holding and this one comes in. But there's a real discipline in that. You know, the only cash that goes into into the portfolio is the dividends that, that come in. And, you know, over time, they've contributed quite a lot to the performance. Reinvested. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Reinvested in the same... No, no. I, I'm personally. I uh, I was asked about this the other day. I, I when the cash comes in, it just goes into the cash pot. 
So you can deploy so it. So the cat, like. and then I can deploy it how I like. Because my my concern with just automatic reinvesting is that you might be reinvesting on a day when the stock's just had a ten percent run in the last week, mm. and you wouldn't naturally be a buyer of the stock maybe at that on that day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about this, you know, discipline. Sort of, you get getting wary when you get, you know, when when shares have rebated to a to a particular extent. But having said that, sometimes that might might work against you. And, and there must be lots of lessons you've learned. And I think that's one one of them uh, in in the years of running running these portfolios. Well, especially in the sort of market we've had over the last well ten years now, but you know, certainly last few years, I've I've missed out on stocks like uh well fever tree because i looked at it and i always went that's too expensive um and then there'd be upgrades and results so maybe i didn't really understand it completely uh, and really get the story and then another one um the anthony brown dynamics um that's just been a tremendous performance but again i've always just been put off by the valuation and i mean thinking about stocks i've Sold too early. Well, there's loads. I mean, I mentioned one in there as Melrose. <laughs> Melrose, yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, and I kick myself with Melrose because I think they're some of the best management. You look at their record of creating value. And, uh, you know, I should have just bought that in January 2012 and just held it and never sold a share. But I, I, some reason I, I get worried about the markets they're in and things like that instead of just remembering, you know, what, good good sort of managers they are and good uh, you know value creators i mean you say in the piece you know if the investment case is sound yeah hang on in there yeah if you're happy with the research you've done and your understanding yep. of the share just stick, stick with it yes uh, up to a limit though and i guess the other thing will be the 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 weighting i have in the stock so um i mean one i cut back i mean one, a stock it's one of my probably my biggest contributor pounds wise to performance would be bioventix and i reduced my exposure to that about three or four months ago sort of half my weighting because i thought the valuation had got too far ahead and you know I've, i have in my mind where i would buy you know buy those shares back and it got quite close to it a few weeks back and since then it's gone off about 15 percent so i've missed out but um my discipline was this is you know there's a line on my chart where i will buy it at and i know why i would buy it there didn't quite get there doesn't matter i mean the time may come again the time may come again you i mean i think it will you talk in the column this week about the likelihood of of a market correction the talking about patience is one thing but actually doing it uh is another Yes. It's, 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 so, I mean, one of, one, of, one of the things, the principles that, that we spoke about, about your, your commentary is trying to, to teach the psychology behind all this. Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I love the psychology um, of investing and there's loads of good books on it. There's one I like uh, called your, your Money and Your Mind. And it, it's all about, it's trying to keep a sort of even keel. Um, it's very easy to um, get really excited when you're doing really well. Normally, you know, normally when I start thinking I'm really good at this, that's that's when I use. I start to worry because you know that something's going to come and kick you, um, and you've you've just got to try and keep an even keel. And when things are going well, yeah, sure, sure enough, enjoy it. But the other side of that is when you have a bad time, um, not to get too depressed about it. You know, as long as you've got some sort of method that you're happy with, and you've not taken too much risk um, in terms of concentration in a poor stock or whatever, 
then um, you've just got to try and go through these periods. I mean, I think... You've, a, you've seen a few. Well, I see, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, not with this no, no, I mean, but in your career. No, I have. I mean, I mean obviously, I remember the 87 crash. That was uh, an interesting... I got married that week, actually, which wasn't a crash. Um, <laughs> I, got, uh, I got married in, in uh, September 2008. Right, OK, just, yes. Just after layman's went. Yes, OK, well... Oh, just before, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Yes, I mean that that was an interesting one, and it was fascinating watching you know more senior well senior fund managers who were sort of thirty years older than me, um, and you know how they reacted to it and things, and it, it was difficult. But then the one that really got me was uh, you know two thousand to two thousand and three. Um, that was three years of really, really difficult markets because it was just going down there were the odd rallies which gave you some hope and then down it went again um there was very little trading going on at all um for three long years and then it changed um and again no one sort of rang a bell on that day in march uh 03 but it, it changed um and and off we went again but those three years if we had another three years like that it, it will catch a lot of people out if they've never seen something like that and, and that's something you, you mentioned earlier that 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 a lot of people who are investing today perhaps haven't been through these very grim times yes I mean, and, and and therefore might might really struggle to cope when when we see another correction like like you believe may may come soon yes because you know liquidity just disappears uh stocks drop down even quality stocks you know you think oh i'm in quality well what happens is people go oh i've still got a profit on that stock so they sell some and they all come down. And in, these, in, a, in a proper difficult bear market, you tend to get a lot of sort of uh, valuation compression. So stocks tend to all end up pretty much on the same valuation, which is a great opportunity um, if you've got cash to invest it then because um, it's like going into a, to a sweet shop as a little kid and all the sweets are there and basically they're all the same price and you can choose the 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 ones you want and even if you haven't got cash then it's a good time maybe to do some shifting around and improve the quality of the portfolio mm. i mean in terms of cash levels of cash holding is something that often gets talked about how much cash you should have in a portfolio you always report the amount of cash you have in yours which at the end of december was very low 0.6 0.3 0.3 um but we, I mean, we, we briefly touched on this. Given your worries about about the trajectory of the markets in the sort of months ahead, you've, you've, you've increased that a little bit. Um, the cash has gone up a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's 4.3 as of lunchtime today. That's quite, I mean, that's, in terms of the relative size in, in the, against the rest of your portfolio, that's quite large. Uh, uh, yes, I guess I guess so. But I mean, you know, the market dropped twenty percent or so. It's not 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 to protect me that much. No, no. But but yes, I mean, so but you know, it's at four point three today. But I'm looking around at different ideas. But the other thing I have done is, um, you know, I introduced um, gold last year. So I had the Wisdom Tree Physical Gold ETF. I increased that uh, in January. Uh, I've also increased my exposure to the um, ETF that invests in uh, gold mining shares. Um, and I've got Anglo-Asian. So actually now um, my exposure to sort of gold um, or gold mining and, and physical gold's around towards around 15%. Um, 
And I, I sort of have a love-hate relationship with gold because on one side, I, I sort of buy into the Warren Buffett, you know, what's the point of it? It doesn't pay you a dividend um, or anything like that. Um, and also, how do you value gold? Um, you know, it's just worth what people are prepared to buy, pay for it. Um, but um, looking back, you know, over history, it, it has been pretty good in times of, you know, um, either inflation or market sort of dislocation. So it's a, it's a good di- diversifier. Um, I tended not to hold any over the last seven or eight years, but I feel sort of more comfortable given, given the the rest of the portfolio is pretty much, you know, fully invested in, in equities to, um, you know, to have some of that. What, what it, is, it'll be interesting what protection it does give me if the worst comes to the worst. What, what is it that you're worried about? Why, why, why are you particularly fearful about a correction? But I'm, I'm not fearful of a um, necessarily a, a big bear market because um, at the moment, you know, central banks seem to be pumping liquidity into markets and, and, and that sort of tends to work. Um, what I'm, I guess, more fearful of is, you know, another 10, well, a correction, which is 10% plus or so. Now, some people say, oh, you just ride that through. But um, there's always a concern whenever you do have a correction that actually it's going to develop into something worse so that's why i'm pretty relaxed in terms of you know, i am pretty fully invested if we had a correction but then that looked as though it was developing into something worse than that then i would let the cash go up higher mm. um should we talk about some of the themes that you've got exposure to in this portfolio it seems to be a there is a strong thematic uh, feel to what you're doing here yep. um you've got a lot of biotech oil and gas uh we've talked about the us in your columns recently let's have, let's talk about those those three in particular okay um biotech um i at the moment um have my exposure to biotech through the biotech growth trust because again a lot of people will say oh i never invest in biotech it's very dangerous you know it's sort of potluck whether you find the company that uh, develops a successful drug etc and i totally agree with that but as a theme it's been tremendous the main thing with biotech for me is that it's been driven by uh, three, three areas. It's obviously this, the mapping of the human genome, which has led to uh, lots of uh, developments in terms of um, making use of that to uh, with, with drugs, um, but also um, computer power. So now, you know, computer power is being used to develop a lot of these uh, new drugs and in research Um, and then just greater wealth around the world. Um, So sort of a growing, ageing and uh, population that's also getting richer. Um, You're seeing more money go into this sort of development. But also, you know, that flows over into health as well. So I, I own worldwide healthcare. So that's much more in the sort of larger pharmaceutical companies than, than the smaller biotechs. But you've got both ends of the I've uh, got both. The, uh, both. And, you know, I, biotech, I bought both of those originally right at the start in January 2012. Uh, biotech growth went up like a rocket. For three years, it's gone sideways, but it now seems to have broken up again. And the valuations uh, of sort of biotech looks very attractive relative to history and also relative to the wider sort of S&P market uh, in the US. And I guess the bioventics aside, playing 
the biotech trend through vehicle, collecting yeah. vehicles protects you from some of that sort of individual company yeah. drug failure risk. Yes, and actually Bioventix, you see, what to to me, okay, it it is biotech, but it wasn't all about developing a drug. No, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's a, a, a different business generating lots and lots of cash, uh, very high gross margins, and um, you know, a nice pipeline go, going out into the future. That, that's quite interesting. You mentioned. The, the sort of cash gener- generation profile of Bioventics, because let's turn to oil and gas quick. Yes. This is a sector that lots of people have written off. Yep. Lots of people won't buy into for much the same reason they won't buy into a speculative yes. biotech or drug yep. developer, that they think it's, it's binary and the risk of failure is too great. But you approach it in a slightly different way and haven't written this sector off. No, because and there, there are a lot of EMP. I mean, again, it's like biotech in that uh, if you invest in a company and uh, it drills for oil and it finds oil, that can be very exciting. Um, the share price will uh, will move like mad. You might make fifty, hundred percent more. Um, but if it uh, misses and it's a it's a dry one, then you're down forty percent. Thing. So they're they're not the ones that I, I tend to go for. The stocks that I've made good money out of in recent years have all been companies that have generating cash. They have they have production already. They're generating cash from that. And um, they've got some development um, uh, sort of projects going as well that gives you some upside. But the main thing is um, the cash flow is being undervalued. And so I had two of those were, were taken over, two North Sea ones, Ithaca and Faro Petroleum. And then the two I hold at the moment are Serica Energy and Rockrose, both, again, North Sea companies, where I think the market still is undervaluing the cash flow that's coming through. Do you think it's being undervalued on the basis that there are there has been a real shift in sentiment away from from fossil fuels? And do you think that might hold back the, the potential returns you might expect from them in future? I, I think um, that... Part of the reason is because of ESG and um, people are sort of concerned. There's a lot of funds who uh, maybe just won't invest in that area anymore. So I think that's why you have seen the the undervaluation. But it's interesting, you know, both of those stocks are performing well uh, this year. And, you know, I I, I think you you get to a stage where valuation becomes so compelling that, that, people will buy them but maybe it maybe it does mean they'll never get to the rating that i would hope they would but um i still think there's there's reasonable upside ahead for them yeah i mean we, we spoke about this earlier um you made a, an interesting comparison between tobacco and, yes. and oil and gas and yes. I, I quite i quite like your observation yeah there. perhaps repeat it for yeah. business because i mean there was a time wasn't there you know guess it was 15 years ago or whatever when you know the the uh, the tobacco companies were on very high uh, yields um they were unloved um because of <laughs> what they sold um you know the sin stocks but they have performed very well up until you know a year or so, year or so ago you had a good 15 probably more 20 years good growth out of them um as they just generated loads of cash, which they gave back in, in dividends. And people appreciated uh, that and, and they performed well. I mean, it's difficult to argue that tobacco isn't a sin stock. Um, I mean, basically, the product kills people. That doesn't um, really serve any other... No, s- no. ...benefits of society. No, whereas oil and gas, I guess, I mean, if you're at an extreme, you, would, you might argue that it's killing people because, you know, everyone's... Through through climate change and etc., but um, if you look at the huge benefits that 
the world has seen over the last hundred years from oil and gas in terms of um, trade growth um, and bringing people out of poverty, etc. Um, I, I think it's too early to write it off. And it, it's, it's, I mean, I wrote about this in an editorial recently. I mean, the, the actual amount of oil and gas that's, that's used every day. Yes. Just yep. keeping the world ticking over. Yep. It's just mind-boggling. It, it is. And, I and, just see how it's going to be unwound very quickly. Well, no, especially when you've got, um, you know, countries in the Far East, developing countries who, uh, you know, people want to drive a car and they're not all going to be jumping into electric cars yet. Mm. In terms of emerging markets, you, you don't have uh, an enormous amount of exposure? No. A little bit no, down no, there at the A little bit at the bottom of Vietnam. Vietnam's a great market from the, the sort of research i've done you know i'd love to i haven't been there but it'd be nice to go there but in terms of you know balance of payments um etc um and very you know well-educated young workforce and um yeah, it's like china was 20 years ago but or longer ago but probably um probably in a better position i think it looks, so like, looks like a, bit of, a 10 year one it looks like a bit of a tentative turn in the wall well it there. does and you, you see it should really be a two and a half percenter so maybe at some stage I'll add to that. The, the one thing we haven't talked about, actually, in terms of how you decide the weightings yes. is uh, a tool that you've introduced quite recently that we haven't actually run in this week's column for space, yes. uh, for space constraints reasons, but you have introduced it to, to the portfolios. This is your risk-reward yeah. uh, rating tool. Yes. Can you talk us through how, that, how you came to introduce that and what it right. does? Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I think most people... You know, they build a portfolio, they might have 20 stocks in it, and they'll probably try and put more in the ones where they have the most conviction and less in the ones that they feel a bit more tentative about. But maybe there's not that much science to it. And that was sort of what I did uh, before. And then I read a book last summer um, by Mark Simpson called Excellent Investing, which I thought was an excellent book. Um, but one of the things I took out of that was this thing that he used for weighting his his stocks so he will and i now do it for any holding i have i will look at risk and i will have it high medium or low and that's risk is sort of based on things like balance sheet debt you know if there's too much debt i might be worried about and put it as high risk and also maybe on business risk as well you know are they dependent on one product that you know might get superseded or something so it's sort of an amalgam of the risk to the business and then reward i also do high medium low and um, this is based on what upside I see. See, So if I can see more than 20% over the next 12 months, and I'm happy to say high, uh, 10 to 20 medium and less than 10 would be low. And um, so you then amalgamate those two. Let's take something like a high risk stock, but it's got a high return. Well, I might be prepared to hold that. But normally I would hold that in the hope that at some stage I'm going to be able to lower the risk from high to medium. You know, I think things are going in the right direction. But for a stock like that, I only hold 2.5% of the portfolio. Now, that's what I've chosen. Uh, someone else might implement this and say, well, for a stock like that, I'll only put 1% in. Mm. Uh, and people should make their own choice. But then at the other end, I mean, what you really want to hold is a low-risk stock with a high return. 
Now, I can't find many of those, <laughs> but it, for me, that then has 7.5%. So I'll put 7.5% in a stock like that. You haven't got many 7.5%. Well, I've just got the one, um, which was Rock Rose Energy. And the reason for that was just the balance sheet. You had um, basically the cash added up to the market cap of the business. And that cash is going up every day as they generated more cash from their, from their, from their assets in the North Sea. But the, the thing is, the, the, my measurement of um, the risk on it, again, it's a bit subjective because I could then argue with someone else saying, no, you, you can never have an oil stock on low risk. I mean, it's got to be medium. But the oil price might collapse overnight or something like that. And, I, and I've got some sympathy with that. So the only thing that was really driving me there was just the balance sheet. You know, even if the oil price had collapsed, the balance sheet was rock solid. Mm. So it does mean, therefore, that all the time I'm looking at my stocks um, and I'm not going, well, that's gone up a bit. I need to take a profit on that. What I'm looking at and saying, am I still happy with my risk reward waiting on it? And if I am happy with that, then I should do nothing. But if the uh, it's performed very well, it's gone up. 60% in the last few months and it's gone from being on 16 times to 25 times or whatever then um, I might then think oh that's not high reward anymore that's medium reward mm. in which case I would then take it down to 5%. So it's just an extra layer of discipline? It's a, a layer of discipline um, and it's yes it's sort of hopefully will keep the trading down to just you know you will keep the trading down which obviously does does cost money in december i did two trades um you know that was it mind you in january i've done about five a whole five yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah well it's been a good start of the month and there's been some big moves and uh i guess with a couple of them i've i felt the uh reward weightings were too high that's why i've cut yeah, absolutely. I realise we went off on a bit of a tangent there without yep. talking about theme number three, which was the US. Now, a couple, yes. of, a couple of months ago, I, uh, did, I, I you said, said you said you've, you know you're, you're, uh, you you feel you one of the mistakes you've made yes. is perhaps being underexposed yes. to the US. Yeah, well, I've got there's um, a chap who communicates with me, nice, very nice man, and he sent me an email the other day saying, "Well done on you know whatever sixteen point two percent a year over the last eight years." But I've had a look, and if you bought the S&P 500 tracker, you'd have done 16%, and um, you could have gone off and done other things. Well, uh, first of all, I'm not sure what else I'd have done, because I really enjoy investing. But, you know, it, it, was a, it was a good point. But that doesn't necessarily mean from here, though, over the next eight years, you'll make more, well, the same amount out of an S&P 500 tracker as, as, as I hope to do. But... You know, I have missed out there because um, it, it obviously has performed very, very well. And, and I remember right back in January 12, you know, there were people arguing that the US looked expensive. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, well, it's then, only an yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And they were arguing then and it was at very high risk and all this and it's been tremendous. Now, I have had some exposure, obviously, because I've had it through uh, biotech growth, which is predominantly US. Worldwide healthcare is predominantly US or certainly ex-UK. Then uh, Scottish Mortgage Trust, uh, 
you know a lot of that is in in the US and and in the sort of big um you know the the, the sort of Teslas and the Facebooks etc. I, I look yesterday which form well. I think uh 11% is in Amazon. Yeah. I think yes. 6 6% in Tesla. Yes. Which they've had to defend yes. to the hill yeah, over, absolutely. over the last few years. Yeah, they have. And I read an interesting article the other day saying they nearly nearly cut it but they stayed with it but you know having obviously talked to the company. It's um, had a great run this year. I, I wrote about it this week in my editorial. Yes. Oh, right. I was very unconvinced yes. as I began my research. Right. And kind of looked at it by the end. I was kind of, okay. Yeah. It's a funny one, you know. <laughs> funny I would say, it's very, you say you don't hold it. Well, I do hold it because Scottish so mortgage, et cetera. And, but <sighs> I really hope it does well because... Because uh, you've got Scottish mortgage. <laughs> well, yeah, because I've got Scottish mortgage. But also I just think um, you need you need people like this. You know, they move things forward. Optimists. Well, optimists, but also ones who, you know, they, they put the money there, they have the ideas, and that's how you get things moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as well as Scottish Mortgage, you've also got, which I think is a really fascinating uh, stock, yep. ETF, in fact, yes. uh, the uh, RoboStocks Global Robotics and Automation yes. ETF. Yeah. I, I'm really, really interested in yeah. these things. Um, well, it's, uh, they've got a fantastic website. I mean, they give a lot of information out. I mean, they write a lot of reports and things on companies they're invested in and all that. So, you know, if you're interested in um, that sort of area of the markets um, over the next 10 years, then I think it's a good place to start. But um, again, I wouldn't know which individual stocks to buy. And I think a good way to play the theme is through uh, an ETF. And they talk about this year, well, this year and beyond the sort of big themes in, in robotics and automation being, I mean, one they talk about in a presentation on the website at the moment is uh, sensing. So they're talking about computers being able to actually sense a lot more. So it's about video, basically, being able to... I mean, obviously, we've got an iPhone where we can look at it, face recognition. But it's really embedding this um, in into computers uh, and the whole system so they can see what's going on and then make things happen. So, I mean, that's a big thing they talk about, which I think sounds exciting. Also sounds slightly terrifying, but there you go. Yes, yeah, no, ooh, yeah, there's some terrifying <laughs> stuff around, actually. On the, um, and then there's, um, uh, what, what are the others? Oh, well, AI. Yeah. And we see that already. Um, it's starting to, to, to happen, but I think that's really going to grow. Uh, um, then, uh, obviously, autonomous cars and all that. And that's part of the sensing thing. You know, that, that's going to make autonomous cars, uh, I guess, safer and, and uh, uh, more likely. Uh, then the other was um, basically in uh, manufacturing. And then the other was in logistics. I mean, just more and more robots uh, being used in great big warehouses, moving things around. Um, which is so, what we see in, in Ocado. Yes, for, absolutely. For instance, which I think is absolutely. the only That's, UK company in this, this little ETF. I think you're right. They've got about 18 holdings or so in mm. the ETF, and I think that is the only UK one, yeah. Actually, yeah. uh, Blue Prism might have been in there, mm. but it might not be anymore. I don't know. I think it is. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I did have a look. Yeah. I might be wrong. I mean, I actually downloaded as many of the stocks as I could onto ShareScope. So I have a portfolio with them. And it's quite interesting because you can see what valuations are on. And I, I was quite surprised because you sort of thought, oh, they'll all be on huge valuations and whatever. But there's a lot of them that are on 20 times with a peg of 0.6 and things like that. And they point out, 
they point that out at the moment that um, they they can see that valuations are, are reasonable in the area and they can see an acceleration in earnings growth over the, over this year and and next. Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the ETF has just broken out above a sort of two year high. Um, so uh, hopefully the start of another leg up. And apart from gold, that's your only ETF. Yes, it is, isn't it? At yeah, the moment? it is. Would you be looking to add more? If um, They're quite useful for playing some of these. I think they're useful for themes. You know, it's a low-cost way of doing it, and you get a good spread. So, yes, I would if, the, if, yeah, if there's something. And, I mean, an area that I guess is missing out there is uh, sort of renewable energy, that sort of area. And I'd be amazed if by the end of this year, or maybe, you know, well, by the end of this year, if I don't have some exposure through through something there. But also, you know, some of those will give you, uh, you, there's two ways you can go. You can either go into a fund that's sort of developing new technology, um, or I guess you can go into one that pays a, a good dividend yield. So it's already generated. Wind power, like Bluefield yeah. Solar or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Thanks, John. That's been really, really useful. And I think, uh, I mean, speaking to you, there's a couple of things I've, I've sort of taken away from uh, from the conversation and, and about, you know, watching what you do over the years um, that we spoke about earlier. And that's that's the, the importance of the process and actually being able to sort of tweak and improve that process uh, as you go along. And, and I guess the other thing is, is, is the time frame. Yes. Not being too worried about yes. the here and now. Yeah, I think time frame is really important because... I think you should always, if you're investing in equities and you need the money next year or next month or in six months' time, then I don't really think you should be investing in equities. You know, the, the, the money I've got here is money that I just want to grow over the years and years ahead um, and pay me an income, you know, in the future when I need it. So it's all about just building that pot and trying, trying you know, we'd all love to go up 1% every month. But it's that's it's not how it happens. You have good times. Last year was great. Year before wasn't so good. But it's really looking over, you know, over time and building up that record. You mentioned a really great turning book, uh, the Andrew Craig book. Yes, How to Own the World, which I I just read uh, last last week, and I read it in a couple of days. It was uh, quite compelling reading, um, and I guess uh, what do I didn't I didn't personally for me learned that much from it although there were some bits in terms of you know the gold bit it's sort of well it was a nice reinforcer it made me feel good about my decision to have bought gold but um it, it's more aimed at, at people who were uh, i guess you know younger in their 20s 30s about the importance of starting to invest letting compounding happen but there's very good pointers as well on how to value different markets um property as well um and how to value them how not to get sucked into things at the top and all this sort of thing so it's a good read i I think a lot of people should read that excellent nice uh nice reading list pointer the summer holidays, which now seem miles away, but there you go. Thank you, John. Let me just talk uh, you through what else we've got in the magazine this week. It's been a quiet week on the results front. We've had obviously lots of news updates. The big news feature we've done this week is on the retail uh, sector, where there have been lots of updates since the new year, and it's sort of mixed reading. Some some horrible stuff and middling stuff, and some uh, some actually a few companies that are doing quite well. Not least Boohoo and Dunelm. 
We have plenty in the personal finance and funds section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. Uh, John's excellent column, obviously. Uh, all the usual tips and comments, including uh, Phil Oakley looking this week at Darts Group, which you will know from uh, watching the telev- television advertising as Jet 2 holidays. Um, he's looking there at sort of some, some of the pointers you can get on, uh, on the types of analysis you can do uh, on cyclical companies uh, like this. Uh, lots more in the news section, actually. Um, another look at uh, at what's going on with oil uh, look across the the, the pond at uh, the US banking sector and the cover feature this week which is looking at M&A um, and uh, which companies might be next on uh, on the target list for a takeover picking merger winners um, written by the company's team thank you all for listening thanks again John for coming in uh, we'll have to have you on again soon because I think we've uh Touch the tip of the iceberg there. Thank you very Um, much. No problem at all. And uh, yeah, pick up the magazine in all good news agents and we'll be back again next week. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.